Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. And we've hit a bit of a milestone today, 180. We are 20 weeks away from the two-century mark. Uh, I feel like it was just yesterday. We were on episode 100. And Jeff Gluck was our guest, and we had a long, extended conversation. And Papa Siegel was just starting his way back segments, and we just launched the 2.0 iteration. And here we are, episode 180. And it is a packed one for you, a good one for you. Jake Garcia of MHR in the Truck Series is our guest. He's kind of come onto the scene a bit hot. He's got a top 10 at Vegas, his first start of the year. Coming off a top five at Texas Motor Speedway, the best finish of his young truck series career and obviously McNally Higgleman Racing they are off to a hot start as well Christian Eckes with that win at Atlanta Motor Speedway Jake Garcia is his teammate so interested to see what Jake has to say about his relationship with Christian and how the season has been going so far for him plus we got Richmond to chat about we got Bristol Dirt and oh baby we got some penalties and some appeals and some rulebook changes and the like but before we do any of that, let's throw it over to Papa Siegel with this week's Way Back segment and the number 80. What have you possibly cooked up for us this week? Thank you, Doof, and welcome everyone to episode 180. Last time around, we gave a shout out to early NASCAR campaigner Jim Paschal, who won in the 80 back in 1953 at Martinsville when it was a dirt track. Hard to imagine, huh? Then again, how many of you could have imagined Bristol as a dirt track? Davey will be there this weekend. I was planning to talk about Neil Soapy Castles today because of his colorful and clean nickname until I realized we already did that in episode 86. That was a good one if you want to use your own Wayback Machine to listen again to how Soapy once shot the flag out of the starter's hand while leading a race. Ah, yes, they were different times, my friends. Today, let's take a quick look at the man who has the most starts in the 80 car, all 22 of them. That would be Jimmy Horton. Horton was a Northeastern dirt track modified ace who dabbled in the Xfinity and Cup Series in the 80s and 90s. He won the Daytona Arca race in 1990 and 92, which got him noticed by Rick Hendrick who enlisted him to fill in for an injured Darrell Waltrip at the July 1990 Super Speedway races at Daytona and Talladega, as well as Pocono. He did a pretty good job. I remember Horton being involved in a huge and scary wreck in 1993 at Talladega. His car was clipped by Stanley Smith's, then Horton took out three other cars before flying over the wall and out the track and landing on an access road. Horton miraculously walked away unhurt. Smith wasn't so lucky. 
He was gravely injured, but ultimately survived. The accident resulted in the track installing catch fencing around the whole speedway instead of just in front of the spectator stands. It's been more than 15 years since anyone's taken the 80 car out for a spin in the Cup Series when Eric Armarola did it in Las Vegas and finished last. Come on, someone show some love to number 80. That's all for this week. Happy Passover and Easter to everyone out there celebrating. And back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Yeah, I was thinking when I gave him the assignment, and I said, hey, I need 180 this week. I was looking through, and I was like, there's not really anybody with the number 80. I did not remember that Eric Amarola ran the number 80. I also just look up NASCAR number blank. And what came up for the most part was, you guys remember Tony Stewart? I think it was in the Nationwide Series at the time, running the number 80 HendrickCars.com Chevrolet. Uh, I think it was for Hendrick Motorsports or Junior Motorsports because I don't think it was for KHI. Um, but that's what I kind of remember when I think of the number 80. I don't really think of Jim Pascal. I definitely don't think of Eric Amarola. Uh, and that story that, Dad, you told about the guy shooting the flagman or the flag out of the flag man's hand uh, while leading, that is pretty wild. So, yeah, like you said, go back in the archives and check that one out. Thank you for the Wayback segment this week and every week. I appreciate you. Thank you for leading the Seder. Happy Passover. Happy Easter. And before we get anything else rolling with this episode, let's start it off as we always do. Were they good? Old-fashioned reggaeton! <laughs> and throw it straight over to my interview with Jake Garcia, driver of the 35 truck for McAnally Higgleman Racing. Fine young man. He was actually on his way to Bristol Motor Speedway in the car or truck with his dad when we had this conversation. So I was very happy that he was able to break up the road trip a bit by chatting with yours truly right here on Victory Line. And he may be in Victory Lane before the season's out. I asked him point blank, what are realistic expectations? And, well, you'll just have to stand by to hear what his answer is. Without further ado, here's Jake Garcia on Victory Lane. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, driver of the 35 truck for MHR, coming off a career best run at Texas Motor Speedway, and he currently is in route, not behind the wheel, do not worry, to Bristol Motor Speedway, the youngster, Jake Garcia. What's up, my friend? You're in the middle of somewhere in North Carolina, Virginia, somewhere like that? Yeah, somewhere in Georgia right now, but uh, yeah, on the way to Bristol and excited for this weekend, definitely. Yeah, as you should be. We'll get to Bristol in a little bit. I need to get this elephant in the room kind of out of the way. You are probably, and when I say probably, definitely the youngest person by far that I have ever had on this show because you just turned 18 years old. I'm looking up your stats, and it says your birthday's in 2005. 2005, man. That is just, ugh. I mean, I'm 26, right? So I think that I'm young compared to some other people, and then I'm talking to somebody who is considerably younger than me. So thank you for getting that dig in on me early, even though you didn't mean it, Jake. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, hoping to hold on to my youth for as long as I can. Well spoken. Well spoken. You've spoken like a, like a mature young man uh, that you are. All right. Let's get right into the nitty gritty. I want to chat about Texas because that's where we're coming out of for the Craftsman Truck Series. You stayed clean and green out of the mess. And at the end of the day... You wind up with a top five finish. What a day for you. I mean, your career best finish, obviously. I know you're 
kind of new to the truck series, but when you crossed the finish line in fifth place, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a good day for us. Um, originally, I thought I was sixth, but I guess I went back to the um, video system and looked at the caution lights and figured out we were fifth. So that was really good to get my first top five under my belt. Um, you know, it was a good race for us. We made good adjustments throughout the day and, and had our adaptive one Chevrolet, uh, you know, towards the front at the end. And I thought we were really fast that last stage. So it was a really good job by my MHR team to make good adjustments and, um, you know, have, have me fast at the end of the race. And you had a top 10 earlier this season. And I think it was Vegas, I believe, which was your first start of the year coming at the gate strong, coming in hot. What was that day in that race like for you? Yeah. I mean, that was really cool. It was my 18th birthday. So a big day already. And Happy then, birthday. Uh, yeah. Thank you. And the Vegas <laughs> race on top of that. So, um, yeah, it was a good experience. My first intermediate race. So, um, Definitely learning a lot, but, you know, again, it was just a, a good smooth day and uh, came out with a good finish. I want to go all the way back, which for you is not as long as it is for me. Obviously, we've established that, but how you got involved in racing in the first place. Can you take me back to the days when you first stepped behind the wheel of a race car and you thought, all right, this is pretty sweet. I think I may want to pursue this as a career. So, yeah, I started racing when I was five in quarter midget cars. Um, you know, I, I really liked racing and NASCAR and all that. And so, um, you know, I wanted to race and, um, my parents got me a quarter midget car and, uh, we raced that, um, uh, all over the country, really from the, from the start and raced those for a while and then moved up the full size midgets on asphalt and, and then raced some of those for a year and then raced, uh, late models. And then, uh, last year I had the opportunity to run some truck races and this year we're full time in the truck series. How long was that process from kind of start to where you are now? How long have you been racing currently? Uh, yeah, I think it's 13 years. Um, it's been since I started racing, so definitely a long time, about as long as I can remember, but, uh, yeah, yeah I just keep having fun and, um, it's always, always a blast to, to be able to drive a race car. Yeah. So you started when you were at or around five years old, like you said, I mean, this is kind of all you've known, all you've remembered. Do you remember much about the early days when you first started racing or is it all kind of a blur? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember a good bit of it. Uh, I think, you know, just, uh, learning and I remember going out first day and, uh, they set up cones on the racetrack to tell me where to be on the racetrack. Um, so yeah, I remember all that and, and yeah, it's definitely a lot of memories throughout all those years of racing. I assume that was at somewhere in Georgia, maybe your home track. Yeah, that was um, at the Lanier Quarter Midget Track um, in Brazelton, Georgia. Do you have you gone there recently? Like maybe, or do you go there now just to to watch or practice at all? No, uh, I went there. They ran a late model race there um, probably three or four years ago, and I ran that, and that was really cool to be able to race there after racing on the little track when I was um, really young and then being able to move up and, and race at the big track was cool. Yeah, I'm sure. So like you said, you know, obviously this does not happen overnight. Uh, you've had a lot of support from your friends, your family throughout the whole process. Whose idea was it to get five-year-old little Jakey Poo in the car and start down this dream of getting racing? Well, uh, I'm not really sure. I think it was my dad, but my, my mom takes credit for the idea of quarter midgets. Oh. So I'm not sure. There's a little bit of, 
little bit of a, a unsettled argument there, but um, wow, but yeah, uh, yeah, they my, definitely my parents were involved in getting me in a race car, and um, yeah, they just saw how much I liked racing and 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 knew that I'd have fun doing it. Then we got to get to the bottom of this. Are your parents in the car with you by chance? Uh, my dad's here with me. All right, Papa Garcia, what is it? Who who got your son started? Was it you? Was it mom? Give me the deets. It was me. <laughs> I, I bought a go-kart for him when he was like four years old. And her and a good friend of mine, Billy Jones, which is Buckshot Jones's father. Sure. He told me, you're not putting that kid in that go-kart. You need to get a quarter midget put him in. And I didn't know what a quarter midget was, so we went and found one and ended up putting him in a quarter midget. That's how it starts right there. I went right to the source, man. Look at us. That's journalism yeah. at its finest. Um, That's right. All right. So now that we got that under control, I think we need to get your mom's side of the story. So we'll conference her in another time. Um, <laughs> but when you when you got past the, the initial shock of being in a race car and racing and kind of the culture that came with that, especially at that young age, do you have a moment when you realized or remembered that you might be good at this and you might want to pursue it a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, just as moving up and and doing it and, and getting better and better and progressing, you know, you start to realize, hey, I'm I'm making good progress here, and you can tell that you're getting better. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, definitely it was really really cool to to make my first big track starts um, and then start racing in stock cars and, and late models, you know, when I was twelve and thirteen years old. So. Um, you know, that was, that was definitely something where it's like, wow, this is, this is real racing here, you know, and, and, and racing a, a full-sized car. So that was, that was definitely, a, um, you know, a, a time where it was starting to get bigger and bigger and, and going faster and faster. Was NASCAR always the goal for you? Cause like you said, when you got to those bigger cars, you're like, all right, this, this is the real deal here. Was NASCAR stock car racing always kind of the thing for you? Yeah, I mean, I always liked NASCAR and, and um, you know, always looked up to those guys and watched the races on TV. And, and yeah, I wanted to do it for sure. Um, so, yeah, I always thought it was cool. I thought thought all racing was cool, really. Um, I liked NASCAR and IndyCar and um, didn't know a whole lot about Formula One, but that seemed pretty neat to me as well. So, um, you know, just liked, liked racing in general. But, yeah, NASCAR was definitely something that I – that was a dream of mine for sure. Did you have a favorite driver or team sponsor paint scheme, anything like that growing up? I'm sure that probably crossed paths considering that we're close ish in age. You probably like the guys that, you know, I grew up knowing my entire life. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I kind of had to like Jimmy Johnson just cause how much he was winning. Sure. Um, so, but yeah, other than that, um, Jimmy Johnson was definitely my favorite. Um, when I was really small, just, uh, just because of how much he won and he's also a class act you know never saw him get get mad or or act stupid or you know just always cool and calm and that's something that um that he he was really good at so that's that's a lot why i admired him as a kid and just because of how good he was as well did you have you gotten a chance to meet him at all yet i know that i've not Cup, they don't really overlap a lot but they do sometimes yeah, no, I've not met Jimmy yet, so um, that'd be cool for sure. But yeah, he's he's a class act, definitely one if of my. If he's at favorite. Bristol, if he's at Bristol, that's your homework. That's right. That's right. Hunt him down, huh? Yeah, you got to. 
Um, so when did when did NASCAR and whether it's the truck series or just kind of full bodied stock cars come into the picture for you? Because it's one thing to be running locally with some lower level divisions. It's another thing to be running locally with, you know, late models. It's another thing to get up to national tours, right? When did NASCAR and the Craftsman Truck Series specifically kind of come into focus for you? Well, yeah, I mean, um, last year we, I'd gotten older and in the, um, winter and spring, we began talking with, with Bill McAnally about, um, getting me in one of his trucks and, um, you know, he had a he had um, a truck for me and put together a deal that way I could run five races and um, you know really enjoyed it and and had some some good moments and some bad moments as well. But um, but yeah, it went well enough and um, you know he had he had a spot for a full time ride for me this year and so went and did that and um, you know trying to make the most of the opportunity definitely and it's went went pretty well so far. I'd say so. Top 10 at Vegas, top five at Texas. But the first race you had was not as successful. 29th at Gateway. That was your first Craftsman, I guess it was then Camping World, truck series start. I say not successful, but at the same time, for a guy who's running his first ever race, you finished the race, you kept the truck clean. What do you remember from that specific day when you made your debut? Well, I was kind of mad, but... um we ran really good, um, through the, the first two stages and got faster and faster. And we were, uh, I think like 10th or 11th, somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, got pinched in the wall, um, and cut down a tire and went laps down trying to fix it under green. So that's, that's kind of why we finished 29th. And it was actually about the best we ran, um, throughout my five races last year. So, um, definitely a little bit frustrating there, but, um, definitely got me used to to the trucks and it was a big big learning experience biggest track i'd been on before and so there's a lot to learn that weekend and um definitely glad i did it, it helped me get prepared for when we did go to vegas um you know in, in march so definitely definitely a good weekend for us just the results weren't there but um guess glad it happened while we weren't running for points instead of this year right right definitely looking at the bright side i like that so Gateway was your first race. I know you ran IRP last year. You ran the season finale at Phoenix. I think MHR had three trucks maybe in the field. I think it was you, Colby, and Derek. Um, obviously, you're 17 years old last year, turned 18 when you raced at Vegas this year, and that's when you started your official, official full-time Craftsman Truck Series season. But in the offseason, talking with Bill and talking with everybody at Bill McAnally Racing at MHR, when did things materialize to get you in the seat full time? Like what, what was the timeline of events that led to that? Yeah. I mean, while we were, um, I think it was right after Phoenix, we, we decided to go back full time and, um, did that. And then it got announced. Um, I think it was early December. It got announced. Um, and so that was definitely really cool to, to be a full time truck series driver. And then as we, got the team together and knew what personnel we were going to have on each team. Um, I started to get to work with my crew chief, Mark Hillman. Mm -hmm. So that came along. And then by that point we were getting ready for Vegas and, and getting the 35 truck ready for Daytona as well. I want to ask you about Mark Hillman. He's been around the block a time or two. He's had a lot of success in this sport, experienced the ups, experienced the downs, veteran drivers, young drivers like yourself. What's it been like working with him so far? 
Yeah, he's done a really good job. Um, he's definitely someone that I can learn from and um, been around long enough to, to have a lot of knowledge about, you know, what a good driver does. And so he can help me out and, and teach me, um, you know, the things I'm doing right and things I'm doing wrong as well. And, and so, yeah, he's definitely great to work with. He's done a good job bringing me fast trucks. We're, we're fast right out of the gate in practice. So he's done a, a good job preparing good trucks for me and hopefully we can keep it up, but he's been a pleasure to work with so far. And I think Eric Holmes is your spotter full-time. Do I have that right? Yes, that's correct. Right. So Eric's obviously been with the organization probably longer than you've been alive, to be honest, Jake. Uh, so he knows the ins and outs of the organization. He knows the ins and outs of the sport. You know, he's been in it for his whole life as well. Again, probably longer than you've been alive. Having him in your ear as kind of your eye in the sky, that's got to be reassuring to know that you got a veteran atop the spotter stand too. Yeah, he's, he's done a great job as well, um, you know, helping me with my lines and, you know, just he's so observant about, you know, where the track's changing and what other people are doing that I might want to try as well. And so he, he definitely does a good job of, of coaching me and, and um, you know, helping me get around the racetrack the proper way. And um, that's very important for someone like me who's just learning this stuff. And yeah, it's definitely, he's, he's definitely good for someone like me, you know, trying to get a good foundation. Um as I began my NASCAR uh, career. So he's, he's been a, a really, really great asset for me to have, and, and he's done a great job. Daytona this year, right? You, you can't run that race because you're not 18 yet, but you're at the racetrack. You're helping everybody out. You're helping the team out, and you just have the sport's most popular driver sitting in the seat keeping it warm for you. What was it like to have Chase Elliott drive the 35 for you? Yeah, that was definitely really cool to have uh, Chase in my truck at Daytona. Um, he did a, a very good job in the race. Um, kind of disappointed it, it didn't go the full distance and it was range shortened. But yeah, he's he's great, and it was great to learn from that weekend. Just have somebody as professional as he at he was um, in my pits that weekend, and and just watching what he does is a good role model for me to follow. Definitely, and and. So that was that was as much of it as anything, just watching how he carries himself and and all that, and that's part of the reason why he is the most the port, uh, sports most popular driver. So he did a great job, and I'm um, really glad he did it. And um, yeah, it was it was a good weekend. Um, but disappointed I wasn't running as well. Yeah, I'm sure. Did you did you get to interact with him at all outside of just like a hey, how you doing? Thanks for filling in for me type of thing, or was it all just business? And he was focused on cup stuff too. Yeah, I mean, we definitely got to talk that weekend and, um, you know, and, and I got to get some advice from him and, and learn a little bit about, uh, you know, the big track racing and, and he gave me some tips as well. So you're from Georgia. Your big boss, Bill McAnally, is from California. How'd you two get linked up? Uh, yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, looking around at, at truck teams that had done well and, and, and I think Bill saw me as a as a good late model driver who had been doing well, and so sure. just came together there. But um, yeah, I'm really glad to be have that connection with Bill, and he's he's brought me really fast trucks, and and also been just such such a nice guy to me as well. And so um, you know, he's he's definitely uh, someone I'm glad to work with, and and a, a great car owner too. Speaking of the late model scene, you have torn that up my friend back in the day currently as well you finished second in the snowball derby a few years ago 
I'm curious how much late model racing you get to do nowadays. I know you did some recently as, as early as the off season, but do you get to get in a super or a pro late as much as you'd like nowadays? Yeah. I mean, I'd obviously like to, to race more, but, um, you can only do what your schedule allows, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've, uh, done, done, uh, one race this year so far, speed fest down there. And, um, uh, also have our cars running around a little bit as well. Um, had Seth Christensen in one of my cars, um, at Montgomery and he won the, the Alabama 200 this year and that thing. And, um, they're racing again at Pensacola this week. So good to, good to have that still going. And, um, and he's, he's done a good job in his one race so far. So, but yeah, I'd like to get a seat in, in some of the super races this year. And we'll definitely do that on some of the off, off weekends to keep me sharp. And, um, it's a lot of fun as well. Shouldn't really be a surprise, I guess, that you finished runner-up in the Derby that year because you've won a track championship at Five Flags Speedway back in the day. What is it about that racetrack that suits your driving style so well? Well, uh, I don't know. Um, I've only won a couple races there, but um, but yeah, that that Snowball Derby second place was was definitely um, a little bit of a shock. Uh, I was it was my second super late model race ever, and I was fourteen wow. and. It was just a learning experience, but, um, but, you know, it was kind of chaotic at the end and I just managed to stay out of, out of the mess and, and came home second there. So, um, really, really, uh, good weekend for me. Um, definitely a good confidence booster as well, but five flag speedway is a great place to race somewhere where you, you've got to manage your tires and, and, and also run fast laps when it comes down to the end of the race. So it's just, uh, you know, a place that's very unique with how sweeping the corners are. And, um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a blast to, to race there, race there and won the championship in the pro late models and, and also the super late models as well. And so it's been a great place to race and definitely somewhere I've learned a lot from as well. You want to run the Derby again? If that was your second ever race, I can only imagine how much better you'd be now. Oh, uh, well, you'd think that I'd have a win if that trend continued, but, uh, it's not that easy. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm definitely, uh, definitely going to want to go down there in December and, and give it another shot. couple more here, and I'll let you run. I appreciate you carving out some time. I know it's a, a busy week for you heading out to Bristol Dirt. Uh, speaking of Bristol Dirt, it's your first start on the dirt this weekend in a NASCAR stock truck car vehicle. I know you've done some limited dirt starts in the past, but that was way back in the day. What are you expecting from this weekend in terms of yourself with the learning curve and just the track conditions, et cetera, with the weather in the area, it should be a pretty wild one. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be a, a lot different for me, but, um, you know, I, I, I have, you know, just Bill McAnally uh, racing, McAninelli Hilcherman racing is, has brought really fast trucks to dirt races in the past, um, you know, and so I, I, I know we'll have a good truck um, this weekend. So it's just going to be a matter of me figuring it out and, and you know, just, figuring out the dirt and also my, my team helping me figure out where the line's going to move. And, um, just learning, learning dirt racing is something that I'm going to have to do this week and just figuring out all the little things that go with it because it's, it's going to be tough to, to gather all that information this week, but I definitely think that I can get most of it down and, and hopefully have a, have a good run this week. Is that where you lean on somebody like your teammate, Christian Eckes or anybody else in the truck garage that, you've kind of picked their brain on little things, especially this weekend, one that's a bit unpredictable for you. 
Yeah, Christian's been a, a really great asset uh, to me as well. Um, you know, to, at all the races, um, he's he's these are all tracks he's been to before, and so he has he has good notes and um, good advice for me coming into all of them. Things you wouldn't think about. So, um, yeah, the dirt racing will definitely be a little bit different from the normal, but uh, that, that's why it'll be a little bit tougher. And um, but I'm excited for it, and and hopefully, um, you know, if I figure it out, we'll we'll have a good run. When you got questions like that, like for dirt or for any other track, who do you go to? Is it the guy sitting next to you right now in the car or the truck, your dad? Is it somebody else in the garage? Like, who do you pick their brain on when it comes to stuff like that? Well, it's not it's not my dad. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, yeah, Christian, Christian's been really helpful. Um, Chase has been helpful as well, some. And, um, you know, there's definitely just a lot of guys that'll – I think a lot of people in the, in the garage will, will be uh, helpful and, and kind to you if you just reach out and ask them for, for some advice. So um, there's definitely people that are better at, at certain things than others. And so, um, you know, that, that also affects, um, you know, where you get your advice, but, um, but yeah, Christian's a, a great asset and, and he's really good pretty much everywhere we go. So um, he's definitely someone that I try to lean on and, and, you know, gain, gain as much knowledge from as possible. Last thing, and I want you to answer, then I want your pops to answer. Realistic <laughs> expectations for the rest of the year. You have already got a top 10. You've already got a top five. Is a win in the cards, maybe even a playoff appearance? Give me your realistic expectations for your first full-time rookie year. Well, yeah, I mean, we um, Christian won a race in the car, so, um, we're, you know, we're capable of doing it, and we've had good speed, and so um, – you know, we top five in my second intermediate track was was definitely a, a good confidence booster, but also shows what we're capable of as a team. And um, although we missed the first race and missed out on those points, I still think we can definitely make the playoffs this year. Um, if everything goes well, and, and it's been going pretty good so far. And so, if we if we can make the playoffs this year, then it'll be a matter of seeing how I've progressed up till that point, and and going from there, and just trying to get from one round to another, but, um, I definitely think we're capable of winning and, and running up front and, and definitely capable of making the playoffs this year. Just, it's going to be a matter of me getting better and better as I get the hang of NASCAR racing. But, um, but at the same time, I think we, we've, we've already made a lot of gains so far and we're, we're in a good spot uh, right now as well. What about you pops? You agree? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think we'd definitely be in the top 15 anyway. Biggest, biggest thing that truck racing is uh, just trying to stay out of trouble. If you can stay out of trouble most of the time, more likely you'll be up there in the points. Yeah, well said. It's like he knows a thing or two. You should stick with that guy, Jake. Yeah, yeah, he's he's definitely wise. <laughs> you are wise beyond your years as well, my friend. Listen, Great job and great start to the season. It's been great to see a young guy like you have a lot of success at the gate. Uh, congratulations on the great hot start to the year. We'll see you out there in Bristol. And I did notice that you guys pulled over or something and stopped because you had good service. So I really, 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 really appreciate that. Safe drive down to Bristol. We'll be chatting soon, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And we are back. Bit of a shorter episode than usual this week, but 
wanted to be conscious of Jake's time. He was on the road all the way to Bristol and pulled over and gave me some time, which I'm very, very appreciative of. But nonetheless, thank you to him and his dad for uh, carving out some time. I'm going to try to meet his dad this weekend at the track and be like, hey, remember that guy who was just talking to you on, uh, on Jake's phone? Yeah, that was me. So appreciate Jake, appreciate Jake's dad, and appreciate Josh of Bill McAnally Racing and McAnally Higgleman Racing for helping coordinate that conversation. Let's chat a bit about Richmond Raceway. Race was won by Kyle Larson, 20th win of his career, first this season for Hendrick Motorsports. He was the best car at the start, went through some adversity in the middle with Ty Dillon hitting him on pit road. Excuse me, Daniel Suarez. Sorry, Ty, didn't want to blame you. And wound up being the best car at the end of the race as well. Now, William Byron won a stage, was really dominant. Alex Bowman started on the pole, uh, was leading laps at the, at the beginning of the race as well. Josh Berry, oh, by the way, comes home in second place. How about that? An incredible, incredible story for him. And you think that's the end of it, right? So you go into Richmond, the Hendrick Louver appeal, the panel basically revokes the 100-point penalty, keeps the fine, keeps the suspension. It's kind of BS, but oh, well, I guess Colleg's probably going to get the same thing, right? Wrong. We'll get there. Uh, but, you know, news comes down Thursday afternoon that Hendrick has another penalty, an L1 level penalty to the 48 and the 24 for a greenhouse modification that was illegal in NASCAR's eyes. That means that the interim crew chiefs, which we're going to go by the wayside anyway in a week because the usual ones were going to return, they're suspended two weeks, uh, effective next Thursday, April 13th. $75,000 fine to each of them, as well as 60 driver point deductions, 60 owner point deductions, and five playoff points taken away. Now, Hendrick has said that they do not know whether or not they will appeal yet. We will find out after the Bristol Dirt Race weekend what they want to do. But also, if, in case you didn't know, these uh, two cars that were penalized, the 24 and the 48, they were taken by NASCAR after Richmond as the quote-unquote randoms to the R&D Center, the Research and Development Center down there in Concord, North Carolina. Am I saying that it may not have been quote-unquote random for them to do that? I'm not saying yes or no. I'm just saying it's awfully convenient, um, and I'll leave it at that. And then the whole other can of worms gets opened because a different panel of the appellants, I think that's the word, right, hear the colleague racing appeal for the Louver penalty, which from all accounts and from what we've heard and inferred, which we don't know for sure, is the same infraction that Hendrick Motorsports had. But instead of giving the 100 points back to Colleg and keeping everything else the same, the panel ruled to give 25 points back to Colleg and keep everything else the same. So Chris Rice, to his credit, went on Race Hub, went on the morning drive on Sirius with us and addressed it head on, basically said he was super disappointed, he was super confused, frustrated. Steve O'Donnell, NASCAR COO, he said the same thing at the All-Star Race festivities tonight, uh, Thursday night, I should say, as they announced the format and media were hounding him and asking him questions about that. And oh, by the way, Denny Hamlin's appeal got heard on Thursday as well, and nothing changed. That was upheld. Everything was upheld. $50,000, see ya, 25 points, goodbye. That is still happening. My big takeaway here is that the system is broken. And I'm not going to say anything groundbreaking here or nothing that you've already heard or probably thought yourself, but the fact that we're in this position 
where we're not talking about racing on the racetrack. We're not talking about competition. We're talking about parts, whether or not they were modified, the penalty associated with said potential modifications, and the bottom line is we really don't know the truth because the appeals panel did not, until the rules bulletin update that we got on Thursday afternoon evening as well, was not required to explain their reasoning to NASCAR, to the general public, to the fan base, to whoever. There was no requirement necessary. And we're just sitting here as fans, as media members, as people in the industry, in the dark as to why the the panel of three people decided to rule the way they did. Now, NASCAR amended some rules in their rule book, one of which, which I think is very important and a great change, to be that whenever the appeals panel makes a ruling or a modification, they must provide reasoning and an explanation for that modification. I think that's good. They also, and I don't want to get too wordy in the weeds here because it's kind of semantics, just check Bob's Twitter. But essentially, if a penalty is dealt out and it involves points, you cannot get rid of the entire point penalty. You have to stay within the minimum or the maximum. Um, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces to those rule changes and specific sections. And again, it's semantics and there's a lot of different words and diction specific. So you can check that out yourself. But bottom line is I'm not breaking news here. The system is broken. NASCAR justifiably. So rightfully so is pissed. I mean, as a fan, as a media member, I'm frustrated and pissed because We can't give the fans what they want to know, which is the facts of the situation. We don't have them. We just do not have access to them. And unfortunately, that's kind of the position and the box that we're all being put in right now by not being privy to conversations or reasonings as to why the appeals panel felt the way they did. They're entitled to feel the way they did. I also think that we are entitled to know why they made a decision that they did, especially when it's as big as the Hendrick colleague ones and when it's as important as the Hendrick and colleague ones. So hopefully we will not be talking about appeals boards and penalties and louvers and amendments and modifications and rule book updates for a long, long time. But something tells me we will. By the way, we got a race this weekend. Yes, we are headed to Bristol dirt. You heard my dad say in the way back segment, I will be there. Probably by the time you're listening to this, I am already in Bristol or on my way to Bristol. Hopefully, Mother Nature will play nice with us. Knocking on wood here. The uh, There's wood. Uh, the weather is looking a little bit better for the main event on Sunday. Sunday, Easter Sunday. I hope that that will hold true and, and stay strong there. Uh, I really could not use a, a, I'm not even going to say it. You know, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say it. I take it back. Uh, weather's looking good. I'm feeling good. Good vibes only heading into this Easter weekend on Bristol Dirt. I am ready to get dirty. I am not ready to get muddy. There is a big, big difference, people. And if you don't think there is, then I just might die on that hill and, and fight you to the death on that one. But I don't really know what to expect. A lot of the dirt guys are saying that they should not be favored because it's so much different than any dirt race that they would potentially have an advantage in, whether it was a dirt late model or a sprint car. Uh, You have Jonathan Davenport, Superman, coming and running for Colleg Racing. You have Tyler Reddick, Chase Briscoe, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Christopher Bell, Kyle Larson, just to name a few of the quote-unquote dirt guys that are not ringers but have backgrounds in this stuff. But you also have Joey Logano, who's won once time here and 
finish inside the top five another. You have Ryan Blaney, whose dad was a dirt ace, the Buckeye Bullet, Dave Blaney, and he's finished inside the top 10 both times on Bristol Dirt. You have Daniel Suarez, who I don't think he saw a dirt track in his entire life until he got to Bristol Dirt, definitely got to the United States, and he's been really solid on Bristol Dirt as well. So I don't really know what to expect either. I'm excited to see it in person. I, I admittedly am not a huge fan of the concept of putting dirt on Bristol, I think that a dirt race in the Cup Series is a good idea and a fine event to have. I just don't think you should be sacrificing a date of one of the best, if not the best, short tracks or tracks, period, that you have on your calendar. I said that when this event was announced three years ago. I still stand by that take, and we'll see if it comes back next year. But year three of Bristol Dirt, I feel like it will be a pivotal one. Mother Nature, you're going to play nice. Hopefully we get some great racing and a great show and no tomfoolery. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 180. Cannot believe we've made it this far of Victory Lane 2.0. If you like what you heard here today, please do me a favor, leave a rating and a review. You can do so on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, including that green app. Uh, that is a competitor of my employer. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, please drop me a line. I will try to rectify that issue for you. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you in Bristol Dirt. Thank you guys for saying hello to me in Richmond. I do not know who you are, but I was walking to the garage area from Pit Road, I think. And somebody stopped me and asked me to sign a picture of their son and said, I listen to your podcast. And I literally told them, I said, do you want me to devalue this piece of property? And he said, yeah. So I don't know who you are. I don't know your name. But whoever you are, you're the real MVP, my guy. Because I don't know why you wanted me to sign your stuff. But I gladly did it for you. So much love, hombre. Uh, if you're at Bristol, come say what's up. Hope you stay clean and dry. And we will catch you on the flip side. Take it easy.